Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline Melanick. Welcome to Chain Reaction, a show that unpacks and dives deep into the latest trends, drama, and news with some of the biggest names in crypto, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. Today's guest is Dr. Emin Goonsir, founder and CEO of Ava Labs. For context, Ava Labs is the creator of the Layer One blockchain Avalanche, a platform that lets developers build multifunctional blockchains and dApps, and it focuses on speed and low transaction costs. Ava Labs is backed by A16Z, among others, and has been featured in the news for a number of reasons, like the partnership in January it did with Amazon Web Services that, you know, TechCrunch covered exclusively, but we'll get more into that later. Anyways, there's a lot to talk about here, but to start, Emin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So earlier this week, I actually asked Emin on Twitter... What are some questions that the AVAX community has for us? We're going to do an interview. And I noticed your Twitter handle was actually EL33TH4XOR. And I just like had no idea what that meant. So I wanted to ask you. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a send-off to the early days of hackers, to uh, to the 80s, uh, 80s and 90s hacker scene. So uh, back then, hackers spoke in this, what's called elite speak. And mm-hmm. the thing you wanted to be was an elite hacker. And so my <laughs> handle actually spells out elite hacksaw, you know, which is a way to say elite <laughs> hacker. And, uh, you know, back then, uh, I don't know why, it just became a thing. It was really trendy to try to log into AT&T controlled phone switches. That was the big thing. Phone freaking, you would play this 2600 hertz tone to your phone headset and get access to these special commands that only the switch had access to. And then you could get free Mm -hmm. phone calls and so forth. And uh, anyway, slid bygone era, but I picked up the handle back then, Elite Axor. Yeah, I like that you kept it. You're one of the OGs. Everyone (laughs) just has their names now. Mine's like Jack Melanick. Uh-huh. Slight shout out to myself there. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> to move on, I mean, why did you launch Ava Labs and this L1 blockchain avalanche back in 2020? Like, why create an L1 that was arguably going to compete with other ones in the market that was popping up or the ones that exist today? To be honest, I really badly did not want to launch another L1. I really wanted the world to take the best things that are rolling off the academic shelves, so to speak, the best of science and run with it. But if you look around, generally tech, it doesn't move all that fast, really. If you're a true techie, I think people know. If you're outside the tech circles, you're going to think, oh, this is the fastest moving industry we've got. But if you're a techie yourself, you will know that it's actually a fairly slow moving industry. And crypto, for some reason, is plagued with people who don't know what they're doing. So I, I was sitting on top of this new protocol, the Avalanche protocol. It was so beautiful, so fast, so elegant. It addressed everything everybody wanted to address in such a simple way that I did not want to see it get messed up in other people's hands. I thought this needs to be brought to market competently and it needs to flourish. I need to make sure that it's implemented well, that the implementation does justice to the potential of the underlying protocol. So that was reason number one. You know, remember again, back then we were sitting around uh, wondering why Ethereum was unable to switch to proof of stake after five plus years. Well, we were watching a whole lot of other people do really, really asinine, simple stuff. They were dressing it up and we just there wasn't a a group that I could have trusted Avalanche to. Second, it was very clear to me, as it is now, that most people's understanding of the space is flawed, of how to do scalability in the space is flawed. I hope we get to discuss this more, you know, in later questions. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the frameworks for how people thought they would scale their systems were just broken. They're the kinds of frameworks that one would come up with 
if uh, one were to go to grad school for about a few months. And, uh, you know, if you're at the level of a first-year grad student, then you would say, oh, hey, we're going to do sharding, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Many of those approaches, I thought, were flawed at their core, and the frameworks for evaluating them were, were wrong. The metrics that people were using to decide what's good, you know, they were just looking at TPS. You know, the, the way people measured performance was transactions per second. This is broken. Everybody knows this is entirely broken. So, you know, there's so many ways to get high TPS cheaply, and uh, it's just, it can't be the metric. The metric has to be finality. So looking around, I decided, look, we got to do this, and we got to come up with our own architecture for scaling that, that nobody else seems to really be pushing at the moment. Thus was born this marriage of avalanche consensus, which by itself is incredibly fast, with the subnet architecture, which allows us to have multiple parallel chains dedicated to their own use cases. That coupling was the genesis of what I thought was a brand new approach. And so we differ from Ethereum. We differ from everybody else who came before us. We have a far faster scheme and uh, also a very different architecture with no centralized components. I think it's been validated every which way, and, um, and it's, it's been an incredibly good decision to take this to market myself because there are so many sort of small decisions that could have led us astray that I think we persevered through. We ended up upholding decentralization at all costs, and we ended up building right. something that developers do love. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's almost every couple months, especially during the bull market, we had a lot of L1s pop up. They got tons of money in investing. I don't need to name specific ones. You could Google it. Everyone could see there were so many layer ones popping up and layer twos as well. And we'll, we'll get into the layer two bit that you mentioned before. But how many L1s do you think that the crypto market can support at one time in the future? Like, is there too many or will we continue to see this multi-chain world or will it contract into like a monopoly of like one or two? Great question. So I think we already have way too many L1s. The new ones that are coming up, they're essentially copying other people's playbooks. They usually copy us. They copy the kinds of things we say. Their technology doesn't match their narrative. And in many cases, they're bringing something to the market that the market did not ask for. Nobody needs a new virtual machine that is a duplicate a different version of an Ethereum virtual machine. So the Move VM, nobody asked for it. There are zero users of it. So can you do a coin sale around it? Sure, but it's an asinine play. And the market will discover that these asinine plays don't go too far. And I don't know when that's going to happen. You can probably milk this market with another L1. It's kind of like a guy who, you know, you're in the game of protecting people from rain. And uh, here's a guy who shows up and says, hey, I have a new hat. I put a feather on it. I put a, a different uh, bead on it. That's, I put a new band on it. Well, those are all the same damn hat being served to you in different shapes. Okay, yeah. so the technology is a thing on your head. It's a hat. Mm -hmm. And here is a ginormous umbrella called the Avalanche chain. And it accommodates multiple virtual machines, multiple chains. It's a different technology and it's night and day. And if all you're used to are hats, then umbrellas are kind of weird looking at first. So uh, it takes a while for the market to digest what it's been served, but I think it's happening. So the L1 asinine plays, we're not going to see that many of, I think, you know, from five years from now, I think that game will be played out for sure. Three years from now, it will probably be played out. So we might still see the move VMs right now. 
We might see some ZK plays at the L1 layer, but I think people will quickly realize that all of these pale in comparison to a supremely fast L1. Mm -hmm. The only thing that the L1 needs to do is be decentralized, be secure, and be fast. And I don't believe that there is any protocol that can be faster than Avalanche. There certainly isn't known to mankind right now. Mm -hmm. So, uh, And it cannot be more decentralized and more secure than, than Avalanche right now. So I think we're in a good spot. I think people are going to converge and we're going to start seeing subnet plays underneath the Avalanche umbrella. Yeah, building off the idea of speed that you talked about with Avalanche, there's been a lot of conversations in general around layer two space for scaling. And for those who are unfamiliar with uh, layer twos are basically blockchains that exist to set off off-chain solutions built on top of layer ones. And it could reduce bottlenecks while still scaling and inputting data onto the layer one blockchains. And I'm sure, Emin, you could explain that better than me. But basically, Avalanche is an L1, as we've discussed. And what are you guys doing to scale and grow long-term, both internally on your own blockchain and externally for the larger ecosystem? Like, how do you see Avalanche playing a role in other chains and other ways to scale? So great question. Let me start with the Layer 2 vision and make my one statement that might sound provocative, but it's firmly based in technical reasoning. It's simply this. The Layer 2 vision is broken. It doesn't go anywhere. It is the vision that you have when your layer one vision has failed. So if you can't make your L1 go any further, you just, mm. you know, this is the best I've got. And so now it's up to you guys to build something on top of the thing I've got. Fine, that's great. Uh, if you said it honestly, that would be great. But uh, layer twos are essentially centralized pieces of software that fail to live up to their own narratives. Most of them don't have fraud proofs. Most of them don't have decentralized sequencers. None of them have both. So mm -hmm. here we are, multiple years in, it's taken, uh, you know, two plus years. If, it's, if software is taking two plus years to build, the very first example of a decentralized, high-speed, decentralized, secure L2, then you got to start questioning whether or not this vision is actually going anywhere. So yes, is there something on the horizon? We could always wait for Godot. We could always have that one glorious day when Godot rolls into town and he brings with his, in his bag ZK proofs. And previously, he was supposed to bring verifiable delay functions. And uh, after that, he was supposed to bring verifiable random functions. Then he was supposed to bring accumulators, RCAs, and none of those panned out. And now he's supposed to bring ZKPs. And they assure you that the ZKP experience is going to be a user experience that is in every way worse than a fast L1. So that L2 vision, I just don't believe in. Should it work, it'll work just as well for Avalanche as well. But from as a technologist and as a technologist that has a history of speaking his mind and speaking what science demands of him, I have to call it out. I have to say, look, this technology doesn't work. If you take your L2 and you make it decentralized, then you have replicated all of the problems of the underlying L1. The L1 was decentralized, now your L2 is decentralized, but now you're going to have to coordinate and that's where you pay that penalty, that performance overhead, and suddenly your L2 is as slow as the L1 that it was supposed to speed up. So that just doesn't work. So I think the L2 vision is a terminal one. It's a great play for selling tokens. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me also mention one final idea on the, on the L2 front, is that the people who are operating these L2s are actually single-handed. You know, sure, I can build an L2 on my, on my laptop right now. Like These people just take Geth and they run it on, their, on essentially the equivalent of a laptop. 
Will it run fast? Of course it'll run fast. You centralized mm -hmm. it. And uh, if you decentralize, you're going to go slow. But more importantly, because you're running it on your laptop, you are now in a, in a very censorable situation. You are essentially running all the DEXs. You are now an exchange operator because you're executing this thing on a centralized box. Right. And so that makes those L2s an incredible departure from everything we stand for in crypto. So these are censorable, highly centralized, huge targets for regulators. And I think it's a, it's a big risk to, uh, to operate them. Mm -hmm. So I think that vision is terminal. It's not going anywhere. That's why we have a very different vision. But if it's terminal, what do you think is driving attraction and demand to these L2s? Like we've seen Polygon partner with a lot of major brands in traditional companies and uh, even like Immutable, uh, which is pretty focused on Web3 gaming. They've also partnered with like AAA gaming studios and things like that. And those are L2s in the space. So I guess what would be the response to that? So first of all, Polygon is not an L2. That's your first first uh, red flag that something is amiss over there <laughs> because... Uh, they, well, they go by an L2. They pretend to be an L2, <laughs> but if I call them an L2, everybody says, no, 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 this is not a true L2 because it really does nothing to share security with the, the underlying chain. Look, at the end of the day, all we have are chains and bridges. Okay, I've said this multiple times. The fact that a chain occasionally checkpoints its state to another chain doesn't really change anything. These are all narrative plays. And every time I see a technologist using a narrative to sort of create a reality that's not backed by, its, by his technology, then that's a huge red flag for me. Polygon is by no means, ask anybody who understands the tech, it's not an L2. In the future, they have plans to be an L2 someday, but they're not an L2. You can get partnerships if you throw enough money at anyone. I can partner with anybody if I decide to burn some cash in that partnership. Those partnerships, typically what you have to check for is, is substance. Is there something happening that's substantive? Are there people who are really extracting mutual value from that partnership? Are both parties both feeling great about this as they engage in something that makes mankind better? And in many of these announcements, there is just a flash in the pan, an announcement, and then nothing that comes afterwards. And if you look at these companies, people are leaving them in droves because any normal person with any conscience or ethics can only handle that narrative gap for so long. If you're saying something right. to sell your token to the masses, but your technology is falling far short of what you're selling, then I think that causes some kind of a psychological break for most people and they start leaving. Mm -hmm. Uh, honing in on the business developments and partnerships area since you brought it up, as I mentioned earlier in the intro, you guys partnered with Amazon Web Services. But in general, what is Ava Labs looking for in terms of creating this bigger brand for themselves and what companies to partner with or not with? Like what maybe you don't want to be a part of and what do you want to be a part of? So one of the nice things that happens when you have a platform with its own unique technical features is that other techies are able to discern what it is that you offer. And if they need it, they come to you. Tencent, AWS, and uh, Alibaba all came to us. So we were literally just hanging out in Brooklyn doing whatever we do. And we started getting contacted by these people who see the vision of, of exactly how these chains will evolve. They understand that subnets are here to stay. They see that many other people are moving to subnets, especially other gaming companies. So in parallel to these cloud providers, we also had a huge number of gaming companies come to us. And uh, if anything, I tried really hard not to get branded as a gaming network. I wanted us to not have a strong hand in any direction, but to have a balanced representation across DeFi, NFTs, gaming, across all sorts of other, other areas as well. 
So we try to, I try to balance things out when, when we're doing these partnerships. But when you have a compelling technical story, people just come to you. And that's exactly what happened with AWS. We paid them not a dime. They came to us and they demanded that partnership to be crafted because they see that the future is going to require a lot of blockchains for specific purposes. And they want to be in the business of hosting services to people who w- might want to launch their own blockchains. Right. And then kind of looking at the traditional financial sector, last year, Avalanche partnered with KKR to tokenize one of KKR's private equity funds, which we covered as well. And we'll link in the episode notes below. But for those listening, the fund was providing exposure to the investment firm's healthcare growth equity investing strategy and will be tokenized on Avalanche's blockchain. But why is this important? Basically, in general, investments in private equity have been primarily available to only large institutional conglomerates or ultra high net worth individuals. But by tokenizing this fund, it could start the engine or perhaps create some initiative to provide broader access to private market investing. So my question here, Emin, is did the tokenization actually open up the fund to regular people? And what was the impact in the weeks or months after this announcement? It absolutely did. I didn't know anything about about this space. I'm not much of an active investor at all. You know, I spend my time just coding. But but to summarize uh, what happened with KKR, this is a fund so KKR, of course, is, is I think the world's leading asset manager. They have more AUM than anyone else, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's up there. It's definitely up there, top three for sure. So I think BlackRock and KKR might be like next to each other. And these funds that they open up every now and then, they're not accessible to people like you and me. It's just incredibly tough to get in and get an allocation. And so... By uh, partnering with us and Securitize, they ended up tokenizing participation in this fund. And those tokens were mm-hmm. opened up. Uh, I think they're still open for participation. I'm not, I haven't followed what happened there. But by opening that up, they ended up being able to spread the tokens much more, enabling people around the globe to participate in those investments. So you do have to be, I think there are different categories of investors. There's accredited, mm-hmm. but... Uh, yeah, is there incentive to do this again on the fund side or from other traditional players? Like, was there response afterwards from other KKRs of the world that were like, hey, we want to do this too? Like, Absolutely. The, yes, yes. We're yeah. fielding those calls uh, even as we speak because people see the, the benefits of, of blockchains. I do have to say that KKR was a fantastic partnership. And just as we were getting momentum with it, the FTX thing happened. Mm-hmm. There's been a, a bit of a slowdown in the industry overall when, where people are like, hey, wait a minute, what's the backlash going to be from this, et cetera, et cetera. So things slow down a little bit, but uh, we're seeing it pick back up again. And uh, I'm really excited about what we can do at Ava Labs because it's a lucrative line of work to, to tokenize these things. Uh, also, in general, what uh, I think I'm seeing the excitement from the fund managers as well in, in New York City. Mm-hmm. And taking a step back from like traditional finance and just in general for consumers, one of the key issues holding back people from getting into crypto is one, the incredible technical complexity of the whole space and also the rampant amount of fraud and abuse across the whole industry. And my question for you is, is Ava Labs going to make Avalanche a place where that's less common, where people actually can understand what they're doing and the overall experience is more user-friendly and safe? And if so, I'm going to assume you're going to say yes. How? <laughs> Great question. So um, my answer is not going to be a blanket yes, actually. It's it's a range of okay. answers. At the platform level, there's only so much we can do, right? So the platform itself is agnostic. Someone can run something incredibly useful like the 
relief fund for the earthquake victims in Turkey, as well as the world's worst fraudulent schemes. Like there is no way to police it. We're not in the business of controlling what happens. We can't be. There is no control over what happens on the network. So Mm -hmm. at some level, at the very lowest level, these things are, you know, they they will always happen. They happen in the financial industry as well. Cash is in all kinds of hands. And every time there's a drug bust, you suddenly see some guy with huge rooms full of cash, right? So that's going to happen. But we are making things or doing things that technologically address some of the challenges. So one of these is we're looking into better languages for making clear what the intent of a smart contract is Mm -hmm. and better languages for ensuring that the smart contract lives up to what it's built to be. So that's one research thrust. Another research thrust are techniques for finding bugs in uh, contracts. So this is typically in the space of model checking. And there's also program verification, which is a separate approach. It's a different, slightly different approach. Both are incredibly valuable. Um, At Ava Labs, we're especially interested in model checking because we have some expertise in that area. And then uh, one more click up from this is the user interface to the chains. With the core app, we have a new wallet that we have just devised and made available. It works on the web. It works on mobile. It works as a browser extension. So it's kind of like MetaMask++. It's a better version of how you would interact with a chain. And whereas MetaMasks of the world were designed for slow chains, for masking latencies, for a very slow interaction, etc., the core app is designed for faster chains and for a user that isn't as savvy as your typical MetaMask using DGEN who's hopping from site to site. It's Mm -hmm. meant to present a better view of all your assets and allow you to navigate DeFi much more effectively and much more securely. So we are trying to improve on that front. One final front where we did something that I would consider monumental for the space was launching a company, spinning out a company from Ava Labs called Enclave. And Enclave builds a new kind of exchange. This has nothing to do with Avalanche. It uses Avalanche technologies, sure, but but it's not specific to Avalanche. And it allows Bitcoin and Ethereum and all the other Ethereum assets, as well as other chains, to be traded on top. But Enclave brings trusted execution environments to the implementation of an exchange, such that you and I can go to an exchange and we are guaranteed that the exchange operator, even if he is as corrupt as SBF was, even that exchange operator cannot get their hands on our coins, cannot take them, cannot usurp them. It's a non-custodial exchange. And that exchange operator cannot front run us, cannot sell our order flow to anyone and cannot peek at our positions in order to liquidate us when we use leverage. So this is a huge, huge advantage, not just over other crypto exchanges, but over TradFi as well. TradFi has always been hamstrung by the lack of such solutions, and we brought the combination of both systems and and crypto techniques to build this new thing. So it's a long answer. So there is a bunch of things that we're doing technologically to bring new technology. And I take great pride. I think we started out by mentioning why I got into this space in the first place. And it's because I had so much science to bring in that other people were just ignoring. I had been researching trusted execution environments for about about two decades at this point, about 19 years. And nobody else was picking them up. And now I think we're going to show the world just how much better the experience can be when we use these technologies. Yeah, and I think this kind of points to Avalabs' kind of expansion as well into other regions. From my perspective, I kind of see it as like an American-based company, but you can 
Tell me if you disagree with that. But your company also recently announced a new push in Asia with senior hires in Japan and Korea. And I'm curious, why was there a focus to go out there? And how does this expansion play into like the current situation with the U.S. regulatory crackdown on the general crypto space? So we ended up branching out to Asia just because there's such a big market for crypto out there. In Korea, there is also a, an incredibly strong tech basis, especially with cell phone manufacturers and other uh, high tech companies there. So uh, we got pulled, if you will, towards that direction, just because there's so much activity happening over there. Likewise, in India, it's a burgeoning area. It's smaller than the, the raw counts would make it seem. The demographics are kind of uh, interesting in India, but we're excited about our expansion in that direction as well. And of course, Japan is a big field for us, big area for us. We just got approved by the regulators there. So that pulled us in that direction. And in the U.S., I think the regulators have traditionally exercised a light touch that allowed a lot of uh, innovation to happen in the U.S. We are a proud U.S. company, a Delaware C-Corp. Well, I'm located in, in New York City even as I speak, and I love being mm -hmm. here because this is the financial center of the universe. So we would hope that the regulatory environment in the U.S. will weed out the bad players while allowing the innovation to flourish inside our borders. And given everything that's happened recently with what we saw with Signature and Silvergate and SVB, what is Ava Labs doing about the closure of like these on-ramps to crypto in the U.S. where you've historically done a lot of your business? How are you kind of navigating this situation going forward? So um, it's, it doesn't affect us all that much in some sense, and it affects us deeply in another sense. So, you know, we're not an exchange. We're not using an on-ramp or an off-ramp. So the exchange that we built that I alluded to earlier that we spun out mm -hmm. uh, is its own company, uh, and they, they don't handle fiat anyway. It's a crypto-only exchange. So those failures did not affect us. On the other hand, we're a high-tech company, and we were using Silicon Valley Bank. We were using Signature. So uh, these closures affect us. We did uh, navigate that field, I think, fairly well in the sense that we were not affected by Signature at all. By the time it closed, we didn't have a dime on there. But SVB did affect us to some extent. In general, as an entrepreneur in the U.S., I'm deeply you know, uh, rattled by what happened over there. So just about, I think, 50% of all startups used Silicon Valley Bank. Mm -hmm. It's a little hard to explain, like, why Silicon Valley Bank? Why not any other bank? Well, I'll tell you why. They understand how tech startups work. Like in a tech startup, typically, for example, in the early days, my own pay was like $1. And so suddenly a lot of things are very difficult because on paper, it looks like I make $1, right? So um, mm -hmm. a good tech bank understands how a startup functions, the predicament of the founders, et cetera, et cetera. So we can't have these banks fold the way they did. And so what happened there is deeply unnerving. And again, the various regulatory bodies, the things that they're saying about crypto on occasion are they say negative things, and that's also unsettling because there is a core technology underneath all this that is distinct, different, and in every way better than the technologies we've had until now. So there is something that's coming. It's unstoppable. But you, what you can do is you can allow your, your most entrepreneurial, your most innovative people to suffer. And I, I would hope that the people who have any power over these decisions understand what they need to do and don't force their entrepreneurs to suffer so much. Yeah, I think there will definitely be something going forward there, hopefully more developments on that front. And then my last question for you, looking at all of 2023, sure, we're about three months in, so maybe the next nine to 12 months from this point, what is the North Star and big focal point for Ava Labs and growing the blockchain? And what are some of the challenges that you're looking to address going forward? 
Sure. I think the North Star for us is to digitize all of the world's assets on the Avalanche blockchain. That's what we set out to do, and that's what I'm so excited about. What we provide with our architecture, with our subnets, with our super-fast consensus protocol is the right foundation for anybody who has valuable assets who wants to put them on a chain someplace. And they can do so on a subnet. Those subnets provide failure isolation, they provide fee isolation, they provide performance isolation. That means that we have the capability to allow other people to build a flourishing blockchains on top of us. I was thinking that we had about a dozen and a half or so of these subnets, but I counted the other day, I think two weeks ago, we were at 55 subnets on top of the main chain with hundreds of blockchains in staging on the testnet that are slowly going to be rolled out. So this new architecture is taking hold and then people are realizing, hey, all I need is my own chain and the ability to jump, hop and communicate with other chains easily. And that's exactly what we provide on Avalanche. Mm -hmm. That allows us to absorb the growth that's going to come when people decide to digitize their assets, when they decide to offer them to the world. And uh, I also, Jackie, I also tell people that, you know, they're like worried about the changes in the world, the regulatory stuff, et cetera, et cetera. I tell them the, the following thing. Look, even if I were to do nothing whatsoever, even if we all were to go home and maybe even try to shut the chain down, which we can't, then what will happen? Suppose there is no more business activity in this space for another decade or two decades. Ultimately, when the Gen Zers get to positions of power, they have seen how fast and amazing these chains can be. They are digital mm -hmm. first, and they're not going to be going back to COBOL-based systems built by, you know, 1960s Wall Street devs way long time ago and be stuck into these stovepipe systems. They will want to use a blockchain. So this change, it's not only technologically unstoppable, it's now socially unstoppable. So I'm supremely bullish. The biggest impediments to success here have to do with the regulatory side. Regulatory clarity. Right will allow us to just suddenly expand the space. And this is going to be great, not just for Avalanche, but for everyone else. And the moment people can easily digitize their assets, they have bright line guidelines from the regulators, they will start doing so. I'm really excited about how we will be able to absorb that growth. So the second challenge that we face has to do with the ease of use of these chains. Many other people have gotten stuck. People haven't been able to participate in DeFi because it's been so difficult. And we've been trying to address that with the core wallet that we offered, core.app. It's yeah. just a lot easier to use for your regular average person. You can do DeFi from within a single window. You don't have to hop around. You don't need your niece or nephew to help you navigate that complicated world. And then the third challenge, I would say, is that of bringing good use cases from the real world to the chains. I think that's going to be a slower process, a social process of entrepreneurs coming on to these new platforms. We're seeing that happen already. But, you know, as that happens more, I think we're going to be able to deal with these naysayers more easily as well. Mm -hmm. No, it seems like there's a lot of things in the pipeline for Ava Labs. So I'm looking forward to seeing what transpires there and everything going on. But Emin, thank you so much for joining us today on Chain Reaction. Thank you so much, Jackie. We'll be back every other week with interviews with top players in the crypto ecosystem. Catch us on Thursdays for interviews with experts in the Web3 space. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and the stories we talked about can be found in our show notes and be sure to follow us at chain underscore reaction on Twitter. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself and produced by Yashad Kulkarni and Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel. 
Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. See you next time.